Hey Chris, Lindsay Hamilton here on the Rio Canal. And I just wanted to say congratulations on the 30 Minutes Live with CDP podcast. Keep rocking it. Hey everybody, what's up? It's uh, your bro CDP here. Welcome to 30 Minutes Live with CDP. Uh, today I have a guest I'm looking forward to speaking to, and that's uh, Brian Covio, uh, the longtime uh, Buffalo Sabres pre and post game host on WGR 550 in Buffalo. He's also the host of the WGR Golf Show, and he also does some high school football uh, play-by-play in the Buffalo area as well. So I'm going to bring Brian on shortly, and uh, uh, one of my questions I'm going to ask him is about the former London Knights goalie Michael Hauser, uh, his last uh, two starts, two wins. So uh, one sec, guys. I'm going to bring on uh, um, Brian on one second. And uh, you can check out the website for WGR here too, as well. And I'm going to bring Brian on right now. Hi, Brian. Can you hear me? I can, Chris. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? I'm well. I uh, I'm hoping that I don't know if you need my camera to work or not, but I'm trying to see if I can get it to work for you. Uh, that's okay too. I'm good with audio interviews too, so I'm flexible. Camera or no camera, I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, I guess Brian's just got um, a bit of a, um, just one second. We're going to try to get Brian back on. A technical glitch. It happens. Okay, Brian, I got you back on. All right. I uh, I guess we'll just go audio then. Sorry, I thought yep. maybe my camera, but I don't want to uh, cause any issues. So I'm I'm here and excited. Thanks for having no, me. No problem. Hey, I'm learning this quite in the last year that you always, always have to be prepared for technical glitches as well. Yeah, I think uh, for... <laughs> Every night uh, from hosting a radio show, you never know something, you know, doesn't work all the time. And hopefully maybe I can figure out a way to get the camera to turn on here at some point uh, during the broadcast. But thanks yeah. for having me. Um, I know you talked about Michael Hauser. It's that's uh, definitely something that's a, a really fun story for sure. This, the Sabres haven't had a lot of feel good moments this year, and that definitely has been one the last few nights. Yeah, and I was going to say, I'm an OHL fan. I'm a Guelph Storm fan, but I saw him playing the OHL from 09 to 12 with the London Knights. And I'm just so glad this kid, he's not a kid anymore. He's 28. I'm just so glad he's gotten his chance in the, in the, in the, in the, in the NHL with the Buffalo Sabres. For sure. I mean, to hear his story, uh, not only, you know, the Sabres being on goaltender number six, which is crazy in this year, mm-hmm. but uh, the fact of that, you know, over the last few days of us getting to know kind of his startup and the fact that as a youngster uh, that he was born with club feet and that he had all these surgeries. They said, I, I think up to like 15 different surgeries he had between three weeks old and, you know, maybe I think up to like three or six years old. And then hearing that, you know, he really fell in love with hockey and that he wanted to be a part of it. But his dad suggested because of the fact that he obviously had a lot of surgeries with his feet. Hey, why don't you try goalie? Because that's the least amount of skating and that it'll put the least amount of maybe, you know, pressure on your feet and everything. So he tried it and obviously worked his way up and look at where he is now. He's a winning goaltender in the NHL. It's a pretty, pretty cool story for a guy that makes his debut at age 28. And I believe he's the first Sabres goaltender to win his first two starts with the team since Mika Nornan in 2000. Yes, you're correct. The, uh, Mika Nornan was a highly touted prospect. Uh, when Darcy Regeer started as the general manager, for those of you that might recognize that name, he was the longtime GM uh, from like early 2000s to, what, 2010, 12, somewhere in there before yeah. he eventually was let go. 
Um, Regeer had a three-headed monster of prospects at goalie. Mika Nornin was that name. Um, and the other two, I'm sure people will recognize, they're probably the more well-known ones. Marty Baran, who's currently on the Sabres TV broadcast. Mm-hmm. And the well, the most well-known of the group, Ryan Miller. The three of them kind of all came up as youngsters and uh, eventually through college or juniors and then to the AHL team in Rochester. Uh, and then eventually up in Buffalo, at one point they were all there. And yep. the thought process was, hey, Darcy regier has got three highly touted goalie prospects here. You know, what he could take advantage of this quite a bit. And he ended up, in my opinion, waiting a little bit too long to the point where Norinin's and Baran's status as like premier prospects kind of wore off a little. And then eventually, I didn't think he could. He got enough value in a trade for Norn and when he maybe could have had he moved him earlier. And the same with Baran. Now, Baran, to me, is one of my most famous or my most favorite Sabres ever. Um, not only have I gotten to know him now through my broadcasting duties with him doing you know part of the TV broadcast, but just he was a guy, ironically enough, was one of the first players I ever interviewed when I was doing college radio. Uh, I went to college in Brockport, which is outside of Rochester, uh, just a suburb. And our college radio station was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to have uh, media credentials to cover the game. And uh, I was one of them that was lucky to go. And I remember my college radio station uh, advisor had told me, he said, hey, the goaltender, Marty Baran, is a good talker. So, you know, when you're first learning to do an interview at age 19, he said he'll be a good one to go to talk to. And boy, was he right. I would go in there with like, you know, nervous 19 year old in a professional hockey locker room talking, ironically enough, to Marty, who was the same age as me, another 19 year old. And he talked and talked and talked. And, you know, it was it was a really uh, a nice situation to kind of learn how to do an interview. But uh, Marty is obviously such a great interview. And then uh, we all know, of course, what Ryan Miller went on to do, who is going to retire here in the next few games, uh, finishing up his career in Anaheim. Definitely. I was going to say, Brian, I know the Sabres only got two games left Thursday night at Pittsburgh and Saturday at Pittsburgh. Um, Do you think Hauser will get those two starts then? I think that he'll definitely play tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, The Saturday game, the only question that I would say of whether or not he will play or won't could be that Linus Allmark is close to coming back. Um, I can't imagine really what the Sabres would be gaining by putting in Allmark for one game that's meaningless in the standings. Um, but Don Granado, the coach, did indicate that he's close, that maybe he could play against the Penguins. So I, I guess I don't see the benefit in it in any way. Like, this is a guy that's been fighting injuries quite a bit, Allmark has. So uh, what are you gaining by putting him in there? Uh, and it's not like Michael Hauser has been uh, in some ways – like, if he gets – if Hauser had been playing – and they've been rough outings and he's maybe been in, you know, even himself, maybe kind of embarrassing how he's been playing. I could see maybe, well, we got to get somebody else in there. It's been nothing but the case. It's been the other way. Hauser's been a great story. He's handled himself well. Of course, Hauser would want to play these last two games and Hauser's family lives in Pittsburgh. So I'm sure they would love to see him play twice and get an opportunity to go see him play in person. So um, I, I guess I would say that I, I think he's probably a lock to play on Thursday and most likely to play on Saturday. I was going to say, and um, since Don Granado and uh, Mike Bills took over, 
and along with Dan Girardi, who's your development coach, I find the Sabres have uh, shown some signs of life and a little bit of improvement. I would agree. And it seems as though the coaching has been improved because of the fact that Granado has figured out what do these players do so well, and he's allowed them to thrive. And I think probably the most obvious example of this is with Rasmus Dahlin, who Dan Girardi has actually worked quite a bit with too. Um, he and Henry Yoki Haru, another, I think, a really nice young defenseman, that has been kind of the Sabres' top pair uh, over this last month since the new coaching staff has taken over. They've allowed those guys to thrive, and they've given Darlene the green light to really go and skate and join the rush. And, hey, if you want to lead the rush, go for it. And if you want to go pinch in to make a play, don't worry about it. You know, we'll have somebody covering for you. So I think he didn't really have that sort of mentality with Ralph Kruger. It was always defense first. And the Sabres just don't have that group of players. The Sabres are a skill team. Mm -hmm. I, I would call them a uh, kind of a finesse speed team, uh, which obviously has its flaws too. But I wouldn't call them kind of a, a defensive-oriented team at all, at least if you look at the group of defensemen and forwards as a whole. Um, they want to get up and down the ice. They want to show their skill. I think they all are very skilled uh, in that sense. And I, I think that Ralph Kruger did not utilize their strength. I think he was trying to do his system. I've said it very often, like on our post-game show, it was the – square peg into the circle hole mentality and he just yep. kept jamming it and jamming it and hoping it would fit one day and it just it never fit and now I think Don Granado, Dan Girardi and the rest of the assistants here mm -hmm. are doing a much better job putting them putting these young very young group of players in a spot where they can be successful yeah and uh, Dan Girardi, I know very well because he played his uh, OHL hockey with uh, the Gulf Storm. He won a OHL title here. And then uh, the next year, he won a Memorial Cup with the London Knights, uh, considered the greatest junior team in CHL history. Yeah, it's impressive. The the resume that, that Girardi and Granado both have mm -hmm. uh, from what they've done, their family, their playing career, all the way up through now their coaching career. Uh, if the Sabres do decide to kind of go with Granado and Girardi going forward uh, as their permanent coaches going into next season. Uh, I think that from what I've seen through a month or so, uh, I think they'd be making a pretty good choice. The players seem to be thriving. They seem to like them, but they also have a good background, as you just mentioned, that if they need to be firm with these players, I think the players will buy in because of their pedigree, because of their background former, you know, their former experiences as a coach and as a player. Uh, I think that I think they have player buy-in. And let's face it, when you have a really, really young group, if the players have bought in, you know, they'll pretty much do whatever you say. So I think so far we're seeing that. The Sabres clearly have a long way to go to be in the realm of calling themselves a contender. Yeah. But in the last month, they have been much improved. And let's face it, for fans, part of watching hockey is you want to be entertained. And the Sabres are much more entertaining to watch. It was like watching paint dry here under Ralph Kruger for those last yeah, few months. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, just give me one second. I'm just going to get with some questions for you. Uh, one second. Can you just give me 10 seconds? One second. Mm -hmm. One second. Sorry about that. One second.
I apologize for that, Brian. I'm uh, currently I'm on midnights and uh, my alarm went off and I forgot about it. So I was like, oops. No problem. So no problem. I didn't want you to have any feedback, but uh, anyways, I'm still, yeah. I'm still mad. I can't figure out to get this camera to work for you, but I don't want to yeah. touch anything because we have a good signal right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, first question I was going to ask you, you already answered my one question. Where did you go to college? But uh, first question I was going to ask you is, can you tell us about yourself and when you wanted to pursue a career in broadcasting radio? Sure. So yeah, I went to Brockport. It's a, a state school in New York here and it's near Rochester. And I, I actually went to school to uh, become a math teacher, which is actually what my daytime job is right now. I'm still a math teacher at a high school here uh, in the Buffalo area. And it's transformed though uh, to the point where now I teach media classes as well, which I'll get to in a second. But to answer your question, uh, I went to Brockport uh, and I had aspirations of walking onto the football team, and that really didn't happen. Um, but I knew I loved sports. I wanted to get involved in sports. I took a class my freshman year uh, that eventually I formed a really good relationship with the radio station advisor. He was one of the professors and kind of encouraged me to join the radio station. Uh, so I did and ended up really getting involved heavily in the sports department, covering the Rochester Americans games of the AHL. And uh, by my sophomore year, I was the play-by-play -play voice for our hockey team, for our Brockport Golden Eagle hockey team. Uh, I did that for three years. Uh, I did play-by-play -play for our football team for two years. Uh, I did Batavia Muck Dogs Baseball, which is of the, of the now defunct New York Penn League. They were an affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, they uh, And they had some good players, actually. Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, some guys that went on to win World yep. Series with the Phillies. Yep. Um, they were on the team there. So I got a nice mix of getting to announce a whole bunch of sports. And uh, we also, at times, got passes to cover the Sabres games, which was really nice. Um, you know, looking back at it, I really want to thank, like, the Sabres PR department. They did not have to let college radio station students uh, into their press box. But what they did was when space allowed, they did allow us to have, you know, one pass for a game uh, here and there. And it, what an experience it was, you know, being there as a 19, a 20, 21 year old, getting to see how the press box work, where do the media stand, where do they go, how to do an interview, all those sort of things. So uh, that was a really, so that's kind of how I got going um, into being around the Sabres. And then uh, when I did my last semester, of student teaching, I actually came home to Buffalo and decided instead of getting a part-time job working at a, uh, a restaurant or at the mall or something like that, I said, you know what, I'm going to apply to both of the sports radio stations in town. And WGR called me back uh, two weeks later, and I've been working there ever since. And the first hockey season, I, I kind of befriended Paul Hamilton, and he's definitely a mentor to me, who's our, our great Sabres reporter. And he kind of showed me the ropes, basically saying, look, if you, you know, I'll, I'll get you a credential, you sit next to me and follow me around, I'll show you everything I do. And he's been, you know, helping me ever since. And now uh, we kind of co-host intermissions and post game together. And uh, I, you know, I always feel fortunate that I'm on with, I think, a Buffalo radio legend and one of the, probably I think the best NHL uh, local beat reporter uh, in the United States. I think Paul just does a tremendous job covering the Sabres. Um, and eventually a few years after doing that, the, uh, the hosting job opened up. So now this is my 13th season hosting the Sabres radio network where I do some form of the pregame and intermissions in the postgame show. But, uh, yeah, it was, a it was a transition that maybe didn't 
I didn't see coming going to school when I was first starting out, but uh, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. I was going to say, you took over for uh, Brad Ryder as their pregame and postgame host, didn't you? Yes. Oh, 708? Wow, yep. it's hard to believe it's been that long. Yeah, Brad, uh, Brad had two years of host, and he got two incredible years. The two years that Brad hosted, they went to the conference finals both years, mm-hmm. and it was an exciting time for sure. And then I took over the year after that for Brad. They made the – I think they missed the playoffs, then they made it in – 2009 and they made it again in 11 and then that was it uh, both first round exits and they haven't been back since so it's a, it's a de- it's going on a decade now here and the sabers are has you know setting nhl history for uh, unfortunately a, a bad moment which is not making the postseason and in the nhl while it's really hard to win the stanley cup i don't think it should be that difficult to go a decade without making the playoffs just you have so many teams that yeah. make the playoffs. You're, it's not just the division winner. You have, you know, half or sometimes more than half of your conference makes it. And yeah. just sometimes with luck and with injuries, you'd think that it would fall in the Sabres' way once in the last decade. And the fact that it hasn't, like, it's it's obviously very disappointing. Uh, and being in, in Buffalo and Southern Ontario where, the Sa- you know, it's, cra- it's crazy fun when the Sabres are good. Oh, yes. Um, it's yeah. too bad that uh, – that they haven't been good for quite a while here. We're you're hoping that after they tanked and you know got in on the McDavid Eichel draft, that maybe that was going to be the point where it turned around. Uh, but it really, really hasn't legitimately ever gotten going to the point where you really felt like they were going to be a legit contender to actually maybe be in the thought of going on to win a Stanley Cup. It's just it's never gotten close. I was going to say, I'm a longtime Detroit Red Wing fan, and we were spoiled for are the, the wing fans like me were spoiled for 25 years. We're going on five years now of no playoffs in Detroit, and that's hard to believe as well. Yeah, that's another franchise that, I mean, yeah, you're right. Talk about spoil. They they were good forever. I mean, since, yeah. I've, been old, since I've been old enough to watch the NHL, the Red Wings have just been tremendous. They were a model franchise. I mean, the leadership that they had with Steve Eiserman and some of these other players, you know, Sergei Fedorov. Fedorov. My yeah. goodness. How, what Russia, a, yeah. What a fun. Russian five. Yeah. Russian five. But I was going to say, I, I do have hope with them now. Uh, I think Blashill is doing a good job with the young guys. I think he's going to get another year. And I think Steve Eiserman, I think he's one of the best general managers in hockey. I, I do think the Red Wings are on the right path. And I think the Sabres, uh, I think they need a little stability. And I think, I hope they give Kevin Adams another chance as GM and maybe even give Granado and Girardi an opportunity as well. I agree. I think that usually we always hear the phrase like there's a bump after a coaching change uh, where players kind of get reinvigorated because it's a new voice. um, It's a, it's a, it's a a new look. It's a fresh feel. Well, if there, if there was going to be that, I think you got it. But then, now, like it's been consistently, I would say what you've been seeing is is better hockey for the last now more than a month. So I think if there was going to be a tail off from that, I think we would have seen it already. And let's face it, the Sabers are doing this without clearly their best player, mm-hmm. and for a lot of this, their number one goaltender. So True. no Eichel and no Allmark for the majority of Granado's time taking over here. So if you can insert those two back in, being healthy and guaranteeing them to be playing all the time, uh, I think you'd probably even see a, a bigger improvement than what you're seeing right now. 
I was going to say, one of the things they need to address for next year is the goal differential. I believe it's minus 56. They've only scored 134 goals and 190 goals. So they're going to have to get their offense cranked up next year and they need better goaltending. And I really hope, like I said, uh, um, Hauser gets an opportunity next year with the Sabres to even maybe win the job as number one or even number two as a backup. Yeah, I wonder what they'll decide with, with Michael Hauser. Dustin Tokarski... There's a little longer of a resume there. They kind of know maybe a little bit more about him. Hauser is still unknown. Um, you know, if like I said, if he plays his third and fourth games here to finish up the week against Pittsburgh, is that enough of a sample size that the Sabres would want to bring him back? He seems like a very, very likable teammate. Everybody has just great things to say about him. They've been very positive about his work ethic, saying like what a strong uh, example he sets work ethic-wise in practice. So that's something that you, you know, you'd always want. Now, next year, come September, October, when the season starts, I would guess the NHL's goal would be to go back to a regular roster setup where there isn't necessarily a taxi squad. Now, obviously, what the COVID situation is that we all can't predict is, you know, next regular season, maybe that will determine whether or not the Sabres have to carry two active goalies or three active goalies. And, you know, if, if they have to carry three, I think Michael Hauser could be right in that spot because of he could be a guy that's not going to complain maybe that he's not playing a lot. He could be a guy that's great to have in practice or ha have with that extra taxi squad group. Could he be a guy that maybe is one of your two goalies with the AHL team in Rochester? That could be a, a spot as well. Um, I think the decision that Kevin Adams has to make before he starts thinking about Hauser and Tokarski is what contract is appropriate for Linus Allmark. His contract is up. He probably is going to want five, six, seven million, somewhere between the five to seven range, I guess, is where I think his value would be. Uh, but he has proven that he can't stay on the ice consistently as he's been the number one. He seems to get injured quite often. Now, you can call it fluke. You can call it unlucky. But it's a fact. He hasn't been able to stay on the ice quite a bit while he's been the number one goalie. So how much does Kevin Adams want to commit to that in terms of term for a contract? That's a decision he got, has to make. Uh, the injury to Uko Pekalukkanen is disappointing too because you wanted to kind of see more from him. He's been very, very highly touted. Fans have been talking about him for years, uh, even though he's finally now getting up into the area where we're seeing him play as a Sabre goaltender. Um, could Kevin Adams decide that, you know what, Allmark and Lukanen could be – my one-two punch next year, and then you know maybe the other group ends up in Rochester, or he might decide. Look at we need, still need Lukanen to play every game. We still think there's more development there. Lukanen would be your number one in Rochester, and he could play every single night essentially. And then all marks your number one in Buffalo, and then maybe the backup becomes someone like Tukarski or Hauser or someone like that uh, that could fill in, and then you know you can send him back up and down as need be. Um, so I, th I think he's got to make two decisions, the contract to Allmark, can they come to an agreement on something there? And then how much do you want Lukanen to play, whether it's as a backup in the NA NHL or at very least kind of a 1A, 1B setup with Allmark? Uh, or do you want him to be the guy and play essentially 90% of the games with the AHL? I think once those two decisions are made, then you can start to think about, okay, where do we plug the, the missing spots? And then that's maybe where if Tokarski or Hauser has a future with the Sabres organization, then you can kind of fill them in there. I was going to say, as soon as the season's over Saturday, Kevin Adams and the Sabres hockey operations have a lot of work and decisions to make this summer. 
for sure. And probably, you know, beyond the fact of all these goalie decisions that I have, probably the most important thought is what to do with Sam Reinhardt. He has been tearing it up over the last month. Mm-hmm. The argument that Reinhardt only produces great numbers when playing with Jack Eichel has definitely, you can throw that out the window now. He's been very, very good uh, over this last month and a half since Eichel's been hurt and hasn't been on the ice. Reinhardt not only is doing it from the wing, but he's also doing it at the center position. So that can give you some flexibility going forward, determining like where do you spend your free agent money? Who do you trade for? Does it have to be a winger? Does it have to be a center? And the center position for the Sabres looks much better than it did a few months ago. Uh, a few months ago, you might have thought Jack Eichel is their only, only stable center that you would think is a legit NHL player. But in the last two months, we've seen kind of the emergence of Dylan Cousins, uh, not only offensively, but as a leader and as a complete player. We've seen Casey Middlestad totally turn around the narrative on his career. I will be 100% honest and say I thought he was definitely going to be labeled a bust. But he has really turned it around to the point now where he can be a serviceable center in this league. Maybe he's the perfect third-line center for this team. And then with Reinhardt's ability to now play center too, you have some flexibility. If there's an injury at any point, you know, if Eichel, Cousins, and Middlestad are your one, two, three, you know if any of them get hurt at any point, you could slide Reinhardt in. Uh, you could keep Reinhardt on the wing playing on the top line with Eichel because we know that works very well. So I think what you got from Reinhardt, the production that you're seeing, um, I got to think that unless Reinhardt is playing hardball with Kevin Adams, in other words, saying, look, I, I want out of here. There's there's always rumors that he wants to go back to Western Canada where he's from. Um, unless that comes to a piece of the negotiations, I still think that's probably his number one priority here in the offseason to figure out how much it's going to cost to keep Sam Reinhardt and then go to the goalie situation next. I was going to say, uh, what, what's your thoughts on Jeff Skinner? Do you think he's done as an elite goal scorer or do you think he can regain his confidence and bounce back next year with maybe 2025 goals? Oh, elite goal score. Probably not. I mean, I, that must've just been one magical season for him and the Sabres are paying for it. Literally $9 million for a guy that, is not scoring anywhere near what a guy making $9 million should make. Uh, if he got to 20, I mean, still, if, if you say, a tw- is a 20 goal score worth $9 million? No, no. The answer is, of course, absolutely not. Like just, so what's the number? I mean, if he got to 25, would you say it's worth nine? No. So no. we know now that unfortunately the Sabres are in a spot where they're going to be paying Jeff Skinner way too much for probably much less production than what he should be producing. And let's face it, Chris, I don't think anybody's going to be signing up to trade for Jeff Skinner, not only because he hasn't been playing well and he hasn't been putting in the puck consistently, but even if you did like him, then you see, oh, I got to pay him $9 million. Yep, and then they hang up the phone and then there's no trade talking going forward from there. So uh, I, I just think they're going to be stuck with him here for the foreseeable future. And I think for the Sabres' sake, you just hope that Skinner can at least get to that 2025 number to the point where at least yeah. – you can swallow it and say, well, at least we're getting some goal production and, uh, you know, we're paying dearly for it. 
Because I, I saw him play in the OHL with Kitchener Rangers, and he was a 50-goal scorer. And I, I, I thought he would be, in the NHL, would be a consistent 25 to 30-goal scorer realistically. So hopefully the Sabres next year can get more productivity out of him. Because you're right, that contract, how many more years does he have left on his contract, Brian? I th- so this is his second year making $9 million. I think he signed a I, th- I want to say it was a six-year contract. Ooh, ouch, ouch. I think, I think there's four left on it, yeah. Okay, well, I'll just have to cross your yeah. fingers because um, I think if the Sabres want to even try to contend for a playoff spot next year, they're going to have to get more productivity out of him too. For sure. I mean, okay. and he's he's a guy that he, he's a guy that thrived with playing with Eichel, and there was an argument there for a while, well, why don't you put him with Eichel? Why don't you put him with Eichel? And then they did put him with Eichel for a little while and he didn't really produce. So I, I don't know at this point, like at some point, Jeff Skinner's got to put up no matter who he's playing with. He certainly has had a decent amount of chances this year, regardless of who he's playing with that he should have more goals than what he does. And that's just on Jeff Skinner. So that's not Ralph Kruger's fault. That's not Don Granato's fault. That's not Jeff, Jack Eichel's injuries fault. Like at some point, Jeff Skinner's got to look himself in the mirror and say, look, I've had enough chances to the point where I should at least be in the mid twenties with goals. And uh, you know, you got to hope that maybe he can improve from that. Okay. I just got a few more questions for you, Brian, cause I know uh, you're pressed for time. So I want to make sure I, I get you out of here before five o'clock. Is that okay? Sure. That'd be great. Okay. Uh, next question I wanted to ask you, Brian, what was it like being hired on by WGR 550 and being with the station? Um, I guess 20 years as of this July, I guess. Yep. Well, it was uh, a station I obviously listened to growing up. I, I grew up in the Buffalo area, so it was a real thrill to be on. Um, being on with guys like, you know, the Bulldog was still there when I first started, and um, I started with some other guys that aren't there anymore right now. Um, you know, Kevin Sylvester, who I work with on TD Green, he was on WGR when I first started. Bob Gone, who uh, is part of the UB football broadcast now. Uh, he was there and, you know, all these guys kind of shaped how I started. My first job was actually to work a Saturday shift where I was producer uh, for the Yankees games. So I would come in and it was John Sterling and Charlie, or I'm sorry, John Sterling and Michael Kay okay. were wow. doing the games. Yep. And then it went to John Sterling and Charlie Steiner when Michael yes. Kay, when they developed the Yes Network and he went yes. over to the TV side. So my first memories of WGR in terms of my first shifts, I was the producer for those Yankees games and the Yankees were still very good early two thousands. They still had a lot of those great hall of fame, you know, players with Derek Jeter and uh, Andy Pettit and Paul O'Neill and Bernie Williams and Jorge Posada. And, you know, Joe Torre was the manager. So um, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a Yankee fan, but I enjoy watching and listening to the Yankees because I think they're very interesting especially now that I'm in the media, one thing we always look for is interesting stories. And the Yankees are always interesting. There's always a fun storyline, even if it is them underperforming, which is also juicy too. So it was kind of nice to be a part of hearing how that Yankee broadcast goes. And, you know, the Yankee broadcasts are one of the biggest broadcasts in the, in the world, you know, how many many affiliates they have all over the world. So um, it was fun being a small part of that when I first started. I was going to say, what was John Sterling and uh, Michael K. like to uh, work beside? Well, I I unfortunately didn't have much interaction with them. Okay. Um, the the producer of 
at the time, WCBS 880 in New York would have the games. They were the flagship station. So their producer would communicate with us. Um, but that was, it was mostly email or sometimes, you know, you could call a number if you had an, a technical issue. Uh, but in terms of the broadcast, they basically, they spelled it all out for me. I would get all the information on when the commercials were going to play. And not to get too technical here, but for those that are interested in radio, there's commercials that are called local commercials. And then there's commercials that are called network commercials. And, you know, it would, it would say like, okay, in the, in the mid first inning, it would be a local commercial. So that would be my job to play a commercial for WGR and then at the end of the first inning, it would say a network commercial. And then the Yankee flagship broadcast would take care of that commercial. That might be like a commercial for like Pepsi, you know, where everybody everybody in the whole world would hear it. But when I would play the commercial for the local commercial, it might be like Joe's Pizza in Buffalo, you know, because obviously if you're listening to a Yankee broadcast in uh, a different state or a different country, you don't care about Joe's Pizza in Buffalo. <laughs> so that's kind of how, that's kind of some of the technical lingos that it went, but Everything is timed out to the second. Uh, it's very, very uh, organized in that way. Uh, the easiest part is, you know, while the game's going on, because I got to sit there and basically just listen to to John Sterling and, you know, the host of uh, color people that have been doing the games. And then eventually, as I was just finishing up, then Susan Waltman got in on the broadcast because Charlie Steiner left to go work Dodger broadcasts. Yeah, and he finally got a World Series championship with the Dodgers last year. Yep, that's right. And, of course – Vin Scully, who's a, a guy that I always try to, anytime I'm doing play-by-play, -play, model some of his techniques, which are so good. He obviously got one as well, too. Definitely. Okay, um, the next question I was going to ask you. Um, favorite athlete and athletes and radio personalities you've worked with so far in your career? Hmm. Well, I would say, and I guess I'll, I'll start off with the, with the Sabres portion of this. My favorite athletes, I have three jerseys hanging in my basement that are all autographed. Um, and the, these are my three favorite Sabres to cover. And they were Marty Baron, Ryan Miller, and Danny Briere. Those three, um, from my professional side, were very interesting. They were all great interviews. They all were very respectful to the media in terms of any time that I got to interview them. They were respectful back. Um, I thought, and I've been talking a lot lately about Ryan Miller because of his impending retirement here that he just announced. Ryan Miller gave you the most thoughtful answers and responses to questions. Um, when when he when he really was upset, you would know it. When he really wanted to talk strategy, he would do it. When he was excited, you could tell. Um, when he was disappointed, you could tell. But when you asked him like a hockey-based question, he would give you a really, really, really good answer. Uh, Miller was also very good at even talking about other issues beyond hockey. He would talk politics. He would talk about the world. He would talk about just social issues. Uh, he, I thought, represented the franchise very well. Um, I loved how Miller represented the franchise. He got so involved in the Western New York community, too, with charitable work uh, and public appearances and things like that. Uh, that he didn't have to. He just chose to do it. I love what he said last week. He said, you know, the Buffalo organization gave me the opportunity to fulfill my dream professionally. So he goes, I felt I owed them and the area back, whether it was, you know, intermittent, you know, mingling with fans, uh, helping out local charities, uh, raising money, things like that. So I thought 
that what Ryan, you know, in listening to Ryan and, and for me personally rooting for Ryan uh, was easy because of, of just all of those attributes. Uh, Marty Baran, as I said from before, um, a great guy to talk to. He'll talk your ear off. He still does if you <laughs> listen to the broadcast. Uh, a really, really fun guy. And I, uh, I liked the fact that he took ownership of being a number two goalie and ran with it. And he would help out Miller. The two of them, I just thought, were such an interesting combo to be together. Uh, and Briere, my third one, again, another professional reason. Great interviews, always respectful. But he did a lot of work for the community. And in terms of my own personal just entertainment, if I were to say, like, you know, who are the players that since I've been covering the Sabres, to me, has been the most enjoyable and entertaining-wise to watch, I would put Briere right up there at the top of the list. I thought he showed leadership. thought he showed charisma. He showed style. He could obviously put the puck in the net. Uh, he could skate well. Like, and, and he didn't come in with this resume of NHL superstar, but he developed – for a few years and played like one. And uh, I just, those three to me in terms of Sabres, just, I've always loved um, other athletes, Thurman Thomas for the bills. I always loved. And since I've had some interaction with him now through our station, uh, I, I think he's a tremendous ambassador for the bills organization and for Western New York. Um, other, you know, other athletes that I grew up watching. I always loved Joe Montana. When I was in the backyard throwing passes, I was Joe Montana because he was Mr. Clutch. And no matter what the pressure moment was, I always thought he could handle any of it. I, I love hearing that story, how he's in Super Bowl 23. He's in the huddle with 90 seconds left, and they need a touchdown to beat the Bengals. And he's telling the people in the huddle, hey, look, is that John Candy sitting over in the stands over there, like in Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami? I, I just – I love that, how cool he was. And I just – I thought, you know, I, I – Played a little high school quarterback, not very good at it, but I was the backup on some of my high school teams. Um, I always wanted to be Joe Montana, so I always looked up to him kind of as my first, I guess you'd call him, you know, hero on the football field. Yeah, I have his uh, autographed 1990 Upper Deck card, which is uh, kind of nice. And uh, yeah, I collect sports stuff, and that's one of my favorite autographs is uh, Joe Montana. To me, he's the GOAT. Um, the other guy, Brady, it's a different era. And to me, Joe Montana is, to me, he's the greatest of all time. He never lost a Super Bowl either, 4-0. and Yeah, Brady for longevity. There's no one better that's been that good that long. Yes. And you have to give him credit for that. You know, obviously yes. for, for someone here that wishes the Bills to do their best. Um, Brady, for me, like I went through phases with him. There was a phase where I hated him because he was beating the Bills. Yep. Then there was a while where I wanted to deny it because I'm like, oh, he's cheating. Like there was, yep. you know, during some of that. Yep. As it got toward the end of his career and even still now, I'm appreciative of how he's been able to be this good for that long. And the more and more that you hear that it is due to the fact that he puts in the hours, he's very professional about it. You know, he, he keeps himself in great condition. Uh, I, I feel like now it's turned more into the respect label. Uh, tough to compare Montana and Brady and tough to compare quarterbacks from eras. It's just so different. different. The yeah. game has changed a lot. Definitely. Um, I was going to say, um, I'm going to just, give a couple more questions because I know you're uh, with your time and that. So I just want to get a couple of these questions in. Sure. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you, you already answered the one about your role as a pregame and postgame host for the Sabres. Um, 
can you just give me your thoughts overall on the 2021 Sabres and uh, what what you think could happen next year? And we'll, and will Jack Eichel, I had to ask you this, um, even though I'm a Red Wings fan, will Jack Eichel remain a Sabre in your opinion, or do you think he could very well be on his way out? I think the organization wants to do, will, will want to do everything possible to have Jack Eichel remain a Sabre. Jack Eichel, obviously, ultimately, though, holds the power. Um, he could say, look, I've had enough. I want out. And, I mean, what is Kevin Adams to do at that point? I mean, yes, Kevin Adams could stand tall and say, nope, you're going to play. And then Eichel might hold out or he might play disgruntled and unmotivated or whatever. I, you just don't want that situation if you're Kevin Adams. So I got to imagine this offseason when they have discussions um, – there's going to be some thought of, okay, Jack, what can we do from an organizational standpoint here to make you, if there's any disbelief that he's not all, all, all in, what what do we need to do to make it so, so that we can regain his captaincy and his leadership? Eichel, as a captain, I feel like I go back and forth. There's times where I think he looks like a great captain and acts like a great captain, and then there's other times where I think he doesn't. But the Sabres really don't have any other option at the moment to be captains. Uh, Dylan Cousins is a guy I know Paul Hamilton has always said, look, if if for some reason Jack Eichel's not a Sabre, he goes, you have the best – he goes, you have a, a young guy that's ready to be a leader um, with, with Dylan Cousins. I don't know if I'm ready to make that jump yet. I still think the Sabres set their franchise back years losing on purpose to guarantee themselves at least Jack Eichel in hope of Connor McDavid, of course – um, I don't think you can just throw that away right away. I also don't know what Jack Eichel is thinking. Uh, I guess if you're asking me, do I think he'll be back on the team? I guess my answer is yes. It would trades of a monumental, you know, likely to be Hall of Fame lover player. Like they don't happen that often. I mean, look at when Wayne Gretzky was traded from Edmonton. Like that was stunning, you know. And I, I just that doesn't happen that often. Mario Lemieux doesn't get traded. Sidney Crosby doesn't get traded. Connor McDavid, I'm sure, is not going to get traded. You know, it just, it just, it just doesn't happen. So it doesn't happen that often. And to the point where I, I can't see because the Sabers are where they're at that it would go over very well with their fan base to trade Eichel. Now, with that being said, do I think the Sabers in the long run could make it work if they ended up trading Eichel? Sure, because you could get a boatload for him. I'm sure you could get two to three legitimate NHL players in return. Uh, I guess I would be for the point, if you're at all considering moving Eichel, I would not want it to be for a handful of picks. And part of that could be this, the fact that I don't know if the fan base has three to four more years in them of the team being bad while they're waiting for an 18-year-old to hopefully be good. I think if you're going to trade Eichel, it has to be for proven commodities. I just I can't see it being for a roll of the dice. Even as high as maybe these picks could be, it's it's still an unproven commodity. I think if you're if Eichel is moved, it has to be for a proven commodity, two or three of them uh, coming back in return. Uh, otherwise, I just I don't think um, it's in the best interest of the organization to move him then at that point. Okay, and um, I was gonna say thank you for answering that question because, like I said. Um, like I said, I would like to see him in the red and white in Detroit, but uh, you know, I I agree with what you're saying because that fr- your fan base for the last decade, and you don't want it to get like the Bills seventeen years, 
That's right. So, yeah, and I was going to say it, it's harder to make the playoffs in the NFL. I mean, if 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 you probably did the math, the percentages of making the playoff in the NFL is lower. We we talked about it earlier. The percentages of making the playoffs in the NHL is essentially 50-50 if you just take the teams. I mean, to do 50-50 over a 10-year span, like yep. it's probably reaching the same level that the Bills did. Just, you know, obviously it's over a longer period of time, but mathematically to be this bad this long, like it's probably on par, those those two accomplishments. Unfortunately, both of them in a negative fashion. Okay. Um, I just got two questions left for you. And my next question I was going to ask you, I'm just trying to get it right here. I'm not much of a golfer and I don't know a lot about it, but I just wanted to get your, uh, who's your favorite golfer and tell us about your, a little bit about your podcast, uh, T2 Green Golf. Sure. And I, and I put it up on my ticker too. Thank you. Yep. That's our website, t2green.golf. Uh, so on WGR, for all of you that maybe can, uh, can listen, if you are a golfer, uh, I do a show every Saturday morning with Kevin Sylvester and also a local PGA pro here uh, by the name of Jeff Metis. Uh, we've been doing it since, uh, geez, I want to say at least 15 years together. Uh, every Saturday morning, we go to a, a course around Western New York, around the Buffalo, Rochester area. And uh, we do our show from there. And, you know, we talk a little bit about the course. We we might talk with the pro that's there. And then, you know, we talk about the PGA tour and, uh, give quite a bit of also opinions on how to you know make your golf game better too. So uh, I love to golf. I kind of picked it up right at the end of my high school career. My younger brother was into golf at a younger age. Uh, golf was not cool when I was in high school. And then Tiger Woods came along. And then all of a sudden in college, it became very cool to golf. Um, for me, there's still nothing like watching Tiger Woods play. Um, I've been very fortunate enough. I've gotten to cover quite a bit of golf tournaments, quite a bit of, of majors. The first one that I got to see Tiger in person was the 2002 U.S. Open. It was at Bethpage uh, Black on Long Island. And it was coming right off of 9-11 and the events there. So having a big sporting event in New York City, it had some extra special feeling to it because of that. Uh, and then it was the first time that the U.S. Open had been held on a public course. So there was some extra uh, interest there. And Tiger Woods was dominating the sports world, not just golf, the sports world. He was on top of it. Uh, and to be there, to be in the gallery when you're watching Tiger, it's incredible how you can have 10,000 people on a golf hole and it, you can hear a pin drop while he's standing over the ball. And then the second he hit makes contact with it, 10,000 people erupt. You know, it's, it's amazing uh, to be around that atmosphere. It's weird him just walking down the fairway, how people like you, it's like you're, you're drawn in. It, it's, it, he's, he's a rock star uh, in the sports world, but it, it's, it's like these people that walk, he's in the category of like Muhammad Ali to me and other Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, like they walk by and you are in awe. And I, I think that for me, there's nothing that gets my goosebumps going more than being on the course, watching tiger. Um, if he, you know, in terms of my favorite golfers, I still root very hard and, and love watching Phil Mickelson. Current golfers that are really kind of the the up and coming guys, uh, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas to me are two of my favorites to watch. Um, I just I love their attitudes. Uh, they seem very personable. So and uh, I I think they represent the game very well. So I kind of like out of the out of these next coming group of stars, uh, those are two guys that I really like to watch. Okay, and. Um... 
my last question for you, Brian, is uh, do you have any advice for those looking to pursue a career in radio, television, broadcasting, such as myself? Uh, I've been doing this for a year now, and uh, I've been doing uh, camera work for the Guelph Storm with Rogers TV for two years. I was just wondering if you had any good advice for it, not just me, but others that are looking to pursue a career in this industry. Yeah, sure. Well, that's awesome that you're doing the, the camera work there and in a sport that you love. Find, you do exactly what you're doing here. Think about this. You know, 10 years ago, people could not just start up their own podcast or their own radio show or have their own website. Whatever it is that you love to do, you know, whether it's sports like you and I love, uh, it can be any topic, but whatever you love and your pat, make sure you're passionate about it and start up your own website and get a social media handle, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and push out content. And hopefully at some point you'll start to gain a following with that. But in terms of getting into the professional industry, if you make contacts, I mentioned Paul Hamilton either, find a mentor, find someone that you feel you have a good relationship with to say, hey, look, can I come shadow you? Can I come follow you at your job? Would you mind showing me? And you know, how cool is it that I would, I, I luckily had a ability to have a credential to get into a hockey press box where Paul could kind of show me the ropes. But uh, having a contact and having a mentor to me is super important because uh, I think they can really tell you what it's like. Yes, sitting in a college class or, you know, hearing people talk, I think that's helpful. But if you're truly there, like, you know, you're in the building, you're behind the camera, like that's definitely the way to do it. Um, so find somebody, whether you're at a hockey rink, if you want to do camera work, you know, go up and talk to the guy that's doing camera. When you see him, he's got a break and ask him, hey, what? I want to do this. Tell me what I got to do to do it. Um, the good and the bad of our industry is there's less full-time opportunities, but there's more, I think, volume part-time opportunities. So even if you love this career, um, but you're not quite sure how to even get started, um, there are so many ways that you can at least get in the door, whether it's a podcast like this, whether, hey, I want to write a blog, or I want to create my own website, or I want to, I want to create the best Twitter or Instagram, uh, you know, follow about the Detroit Red Wings in the world. Like you can do it if you want to, and you start to gain a following. So that's, that's the cool thing is that the opportunity to get started is there, but I think making a contact, finding a mentor that can really kind of show you the ropes. I think that's definitely the best thing to do. Uh, if you're a youngster listening to this and you're in high school, yes, you have to go to a uh, university or college to get a degree in this, if that's what you want. But they, in this industry, they don't hire people that have the best grade point average. They hire the people that have the best resume tape. Okay. No matter what, if I had a perfect set of A's at college, but I couldn't talk smoothly on the air, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get hired. The person that maybe has the B's, but has a ton of experience doing all sorts of writing and speaking and on camera work and website and social media skills. They're the ones that are going to get hired. You have to get good grades to show that you have a good work ethic and that you're responsible. You can't have bad grades because then people are going to think, oh, this guy doesn't work hard or this girl doesn't work hard. So you got to have good grades. But to me, if you have what I would call solid grades with a lot of experience and a lot of good contacts, that person is going to be more successful than the person with the straight A's that hasn't done a lick and has never stood behind a camera or a microphone or never has written anything on a website. 
Okay. Oh, like I'm almost 49 now, but this is something I've always wanted to do. And, and uh, I've been doing the podcast for a year. Like you said, I'm all over social media. I have my own sports blog and I created my own YouTube channel. So um, I just, um, everybody that's been on in this industry, including yourself have been really great with me. And uh, um, I just got to keep doing what I'm doing. And this is something I want to do. And I, uh, Brian, one thing you said about contacts, I have uh, build up some contacts too. So uh, I just have to keep doing this every week or as much as I can and uh, just cross my fingers. Somebody will eventually uh, notice me what I'm doing. Yeah, for sure. No, Chris, I, I really pr appreciate you inviting me. I always try to do these whenever possible. Um, if you ever uh, find yourself up in the, uh, in the Buffalo press box, please come into the WGR booth and uh, I'd love to meet you in person. And then uh, we can talk some more. Yeah, because like I said before, this COVID struck, I was over in Buffalo area about once a month. And uh, even though I'm a Red Wings fan, I like the Sabres as long as you're not playing Detroit. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you coming on today, Brian. And I was going to ask you maybe again this summer, maybe you'll be able to come on and talk some more Sabres hockey and Buffalo Bills uh, football with me as well. Sounds good. You got my email, so uh, just reach out. Let me know. Oh, before I let you go, Quick question, yes or no answer, and that's it. Uh, Ryan Miller, is his number going to be retired by the Sabres, yes or no? Oh, gosh. You, you wanted a quick answer. I'm not giving you one. Uh, currently, no. Is my wish yes? My answer is yes to that. But um, under, I guess, the certain circumstances right now, I guess I would say my prediction is no. Okay. Anyways, Brian, I'm going to let you go, but everybody, you can check out his golf site, t2green.golf uh, website and uh, podcast as well. And Brian, like I said, uh, I'll try to listen to your games tomorrow and Saturday, and uh, hopefully I can have you back on again sometime this summer, and we'll talk some more Sabres and Buffalo Bills. Sounds good, Chris. It was great to meet you. Great to talk with you. Good luck going forward with your podcast. Thank you so much, Brian. Have a great night. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Anyways, uh, I hope you guys all enjoyed my interview with uh, uh, Buffalo Sabres uh, pre- and post-game host Brian Cozio. Um, He's one of the, the better uh, guests they've had. All of them have been great, but I really appreciate Brian uh, coming on today. Uh, like I said, he's been with WGR for 20 years, and he's been the Sabres pre- and post-game host since 2007 and 2008. So, um, again, thank you, Brian, for coming on. Um, everybody who watches this, uh, thank you for watching as well. Uh, before I head out, guys, I'm just going to read a couple of comments here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mark Richardson, hey, Chris. Hi, Mark. Thank you for watching as always. Your shirt will be here this week. And uh, in Stenman, hey, Ian, how are you doing? Um, thanks for coming on. And Mark Richardson, uh, nice, fun guest. Yes, Brian is one of the good guys. Check him out on WGR 550 on their website or his uh, uh, golf uh, uh, podcast website, uh, t2green.golf. Okay. So I uh, really appreciate everybody watching. Uh, like I said, um, I got a, more guests coming on. I'm working hard on getting more guests. So uh, before I head out, guys, I'm going to just let you guys know who my next guest is uh, Friday. Uh, my next show with 30 Minutes Live with CDP will be 2.30 Eastern Standard Time on Friday, May 7th. The guest is Jordan Foster, the creator and founder of Milk Coal Cookies in Guelph. You can check out her website at www.milkcoalcookies.com. 
and uh, she's uh, started her own business here in Guelph. And uh, I'm looking forward to speaking to Jordan on Friday at uh, 2.30 Eastern time. If the time changes, I will let you guys know ahead of time and stuff like that too. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know, my friend, I want to give a shout out to my friend, uh, Laura Haley, uh, who um, took my uh, cartoon drawing by my friend James Honeycutt in here from Riverside, Michigan. And uh, uh, Laura, my friend uh, who does my t-shirts, uh, was nice enough to put my uh, cartoon drawing James Honeycutt again on uh, a mug. So uh, if anybody's interested in a, in a CDP uh, mug of my uh, ugly mug <laughs> face, uh, please let me know. They're, uh, the mugs are going for $15. And if you guys want a t-shirt, uh, just let me know. Uh, 30 Minutes Live with CDP podcast shirts, uh, $15 Canadian. And shipping if you're outside of Guelph. And I can get the shirts in any color and any sizes as well. So anyways, guys, uh, like I said, I'm going to head out. But I just want to say again, everybody, thank you for watching 30 Minutes Live with CDP. I hope you enjoyed my guest, Brian Cozio from uh, WGR today, the longtime uh, uh, pregame and postgame host for the Sabres. And, yeah, Friday is my next show. And uh, like I said, guys, uh, I guess we'll see you Friday at uh, – 2.30 Eastern Standard Time for another edition of 30 Minutes Live with CDP. Take care and have a good night. Thanks for watching.